So this morning, I wanted to get started by reading an anonymous letter uh, that was sent to a pastor in Austin, Texas. So this is an anonymous letter that was sent to a pastor in Austin, Texas, and it was actually sent to a pastor that we have, uh, we, we have learned a lot from, that we ourselves have grown a lot from. So I'm just going to read this letter exactly as it was written, uh, kind of to get us started this morning. So here we go. Eternally damned on earth and after. That's what I imagine is written in the book of life next to my name. Why else would I be so miserable and so alone? Why does it seem that I'm destined to live forever without any kind of happiness? What is it that God wants me to learn from all of this suffering? I've already failed at one marriage. What kind of lesson is this? Here, make all these mistakes and then live with them with no bright light at the end of the tunnel. Here, hand your heart over to someone and then let them crush it. Let them uh, throw it on the ground, stomp on it, spit on it, jump on it a few more times just for kicks. Then you can have it back. Then wait a while and let someone else do it again. Don't worry about the pain after all. It only lasts for a lifetime. If this is all I'm good for, then why am I here? I didn't ask for this. I certainly don't want it. But can I give it back? No. How could I possibly have angered God so much that he would dole this kind of punishment out to me? Is there anything that I can do to get myself back into his good graces? Why doesn't he just take my life? Why doesn't he just cast me into hell and be done with it? Guess that really wouldn't be painful enough anyway. Guess I've got to suffer here first before I get cast into hell. Guess I've earned it. But if this is fate, if this is all I deserve, why can't I just accept it? Why do I keep hoping? I just want to know why. That's all. And maybe if God does have some kind, any kind of happiness in store for me, at least that would make life a little more bearable. Hope. Hope might just be the most powerful drug on earth. Right? Hope might be the most powerful drug on earth. Hope can be uh, a mind-altering experience, as can the lack of hope, hopelessness. It can be a mind-altering experience. I know for me personally, in my life, in the experiences that I have, uh, I know how hope and the lack of hope have affected me. They've affected my mood. They affect my per uh, perception in different avenues of my life. It affects the way I perceive things at home, in my family. It per uh, changes the way that I per uh, perceive things with my job. It changes the way that I perceive things with the different interests that I have. Hope Hope and hopelessness are very powerful. Think about it. For the person who has experienced failed relationship after failed relationship after failed relationship, there begins to be a feeling of hopelessness that can creep in. Asking yourself the question, will I ever find the one? Will I ever find the one? Or the person who just cannot seem to get things moving in the right direction with their professional career, right? It just seems like I can relate to that one, by the way. I understand that. It just seems like every step that they take, a door closes or a window shuts, and they ask, will I ever be satisfied in my job? There's a feeling of hopelessness that can creep in. Or think about the mom who is rejected over and over and over by her child. Over and over. They're just, just consistent rejection. And maybe we look at it from the outside looking in, right? And we ask ourselves, why does she keep going back through that door 
when she knows what's going to be on the other side of it. She knows the rejection that she's going to experience when she walks, once again, through that door. And we, why, why does she do it? Now, the easy answer would be, well, because she loves that child. And that's probably to some degree, maybe. But I personally think the reason that that parent or that mom or that dad continues to chase after that child after rejection after rejection is simply because they still have a little bit of hope that something is going to get better. Because hope is the most powerful drug on earth. It's an incredible feeling to have hope. But losing hope, that's tough. That's a tough feeling when we feel hope beginning to slip away. That's why, you know, the loss of hope and the pain that comes as a result of a loss of hope is one of the reasons why addiction is among the most significant problems that we are facing in the United States today. Because we're seeking comfort in other places when there's an absence of hope. We're looking for anything to bring us a little bit of happiness. We think, man, I am miserable. I have no hope. I'm miserable. At least this will bring me some level of pleasure, even if it's for a short amount of time. Or the other thing that many of us do when we're experiencing hopelessness and a lack of hope is we simply look for ways to dull the pain. We just dull it. I'm not happy. I'm miserable. I have no hope. So I'm just going to find something that can dull that pain so I just don't feel it. In the United States right now, we struggle with addictions and excesses in alcohol, drugs, both legal and illegal drugs, uh, pornography, tobacco, spending, eating, sex, working, dieting, gambling, and that is just a short list that can continue on and on of the things that we, uh, as, as in our culture, are experiencing addictions and excesses to, in many cases, as a result of a lack of hope. Because we're looking for anything to bring us pleasure where there's no hope. Why? Why are we doing that? Why does it seem to be the direction our culture is so quickly moving? I would argue it's because simply we are broken. We're broken. We are broken people. We are experiencing brokenness right now in this country and in this culture like we have never experienced it. So if we're so hopeless as a culture, and if we're so broken as a culture, what's the plan, right? What's the plan? God, heck, he cannot leave us hanging here, can he? There has to be some kind of a plan. There has to be uh, some kind of a bigger plan, a bigger picture to help with this brokenness and this hopelessness and this addiction and this excess that we're experiencing as a culture. God just can't leave us here. What's his response to all of this brokenness? Well, in John chapter 9, so in John's gospel, so the fourth of the four biographies about the life of Jesus, in chapter 9, Jesus is going to encounter a man who was born blind. He has been blind since birth. His entire life, he's been blind. I mean, his, uh, he, is, he, he knows it. His family knows it. His neighbors know it. The entire town, the village where he lives, everyone knows this man is blind, okay? Uh, and my guess is this man is probably experiencing a little bit of hopelessness. He's probably felt hopeless and broken at times. And Jesus is going to encounter this man. And during the encounter between Jesus and the man who was born blind, uh, and I'm skipping a lot of stuff here, okay? I know that. I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little. But during the encounter, Jesus is actually going to kneel down. He's going to, according to John, he literally spits on the ground. 
I like to think of that, you know. I think it's kind of Jesus spitting on the ground. And he actually makes a mud pie, kind of, sort of. He makes some mud out of his spit and dirt. And he takes the mud, according to John, and he wipes it on this man's eyes. And he says, now, I want you to go to a specific location. It was a pool. Uh, I want you to go to a specific pool, and I want you to wash this mud off of your eyes. Do that. And the guy did. Bingo, he could see. It's a miracle. Oh, my gosh, it's a miracle. Unbelievable. This is amazing. This man has not been able to see since the moment he opened his eyes. He's never seen colors. He's never seen light. He's never seen, he's never seen anything. He doesn't know what he looks like. He doesn't know what his parents look like. He doesn't know what anything looks like. He is blind, and now he can see. He can see. There was a problem. There was a problem. You see, Jesus had, he, according to John, John chapter 9, Jesus had healed this man on the Sabbath. That was a no-no. <laughs> he didn't do that. I mean, that was a big no-no in Jewish law. Jewish religious law said you pretty much couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. Uh, you, you couldn't really do, you could cook, you could only walk a certain number of steps. I mean, there were a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of stringency to the Jewish Sabbath, and you certainly couldn't do what Jesus has done. This was a problem. This was a no-no. Jesus has a problem now because he healed a man, blind since birth, on the Sabbath. He healed him. And as a result of that, the religious leaders of the day, and in this case it was the Pharisees, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they were all over Jesus because he had healed on the Sabbath. I mean, the religious leaders, they will do an extensive investigation into this incident. If, if you were to read John chapter 9, you would find out that the religious leaders, they will go to the man who had been healed and they'll ask him questions. What happened? You know, what's going on? What did he do? Why did he do it? Who is this guy? Who do you think this guy is? is he, can he be this? And, and he goes to this laundry list of, of, of questions. And then they go to his parents, his mom and his dad, and they say, hey, is this dude really blind? Was he really blind before he met Jesus? And, and, and they go through this, and they go and talk to all the people in the town and the neighbors, and they go back to the guy a second time. And they have this extensive investigation about what Jesus has done by healing on the Sabbath. They were just trying to get to the bottom of, of really who Jesus is. Is he a prophet? Is he a, a rabbi? Is he, he may even be claiming to be the Messiah? We, we don't know. We're trying to figure this out. So we're going to skip ahead to the end of the story. I'm going to skip some stuff, a lot, a lot of pieces, kind of paraphrased a lot. Went through a lot of stuff there. But in John chapter 10, we find out how Jesus responds uh, to the religious leader's investigation into what he has done and when he has done it. So we find that in John chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 9. So verses 9 and 10. This is, this is Jesus speaking. He says, yes, speaking to the religious, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich, satisfying life. A rich, satisfying life. Now, the man who had been born blind, he was blind since birth, he was probably hopeless. He was probably broken and he was probably hurting. But then something happens to this man. He meets Jesus. He has an encounter with Jesus. Now, if we back up one more time real quickly and McKinley, throw verses 9 and 10 up there one more time. So John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. 
I want to kind of point out a couple of things. In verse 9 where it says, those who come in through me will be saved. And then Jesus says, my purpose is to give them a rich, satisfying life. The term saved in verse 9. That term saved in verse 9. It actually suggests, if you translate it literally, which I didn't do, I just read, okay, because I, I can't do that. But if you translate it literally, that word there in verse 9 that we read as saved, it actually literally, it, it translates or it suggests to rescue, to heal, and to protect. Rescue, protection, and healing. Rescue, protection, and healing. That's what that term saved suggests in verse 9. I mean, this man was hopeless, and he meets Jesus, and he experiences rescue, protection, and healing. But the religious leaders of the day at, at that time, they, they really couldn't see what Jesus had done. They, they only really saw what, or excuse me, when Jesus did it. They, they couldn't see what Jesus had done. They could not see the rescue, the protection, the healing. They couldn't see the miracle. They couldn't see the force for the trees, you know. They could only see that he did it on the Sabbath. They just saw when. They completely missed what Jesus had done. He offered the man rescue, protection, and healing. Now, kind of... Changing the subject a little, because that kind of gets a little, that's a little heavy, right? I mean, it's a little bit heavy. It's a little bit heavy. So we're going to kind of lighten it up here for just a minute. Here's a fun fact. I love fun facts. A friend of mine, uh, he's always texting me, and, and he says, hey, fun fact! And he gives me stuff that me, makes no sense. I mean, just stupid stuff. You know, it's just constant. But I love getting them. He doesn't know this, and he'll probably never see this, but if he does, and you know who you are, I keep sending them. I love them. Fun fact! Within a 15-mile radius of downtown Stuttgart, Arkansas, Okay, so if you went to wherever right in the center of Stuttgart is, 15-mile radius of downtown Stuttgart, Arkansas, there's a population base of eh, roughly 12,500 people, give or take. Don't, you know, like, you know, go to the Census Bureau and get the exact numbers there because I don't know if that's exactly right. It's somewhere between 10 and 15,000, so we'll call it 12,500, right? About a population base, 15-mile radius of Stuttgart, Arkansas, downtown Stuttgart, Arkansas, 12,500 people. Now, if every church inside of that 15-mile radius of downtown Stuttgart, Arkansas. And let me tell you about it. There's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of churches inside of a 15-mile radius of downtown Stuttgart. But if every church in that area, in that, uh, in, in that area of 15-mile radius of downtown Stuttgart, were operating at 100% capacity every Sunday morning, Every Sunday. So, meaning that in our case, every chair were full. Most of the other churches, every pew were full. Every chair and every pew were full. Within every church, the 15-mile radius of downtown Stuttgart, Arkansas, there would be about, and I say about very strongly because this ain't exact, there would be about 7,000 seats available. About 7,000 seats. So 12,500 population, 7,000 seats at 100% full capacity. And we know for 100% fact, right, every church, including this one, is nowhere near 100% full capacity. Not only every Sunday, but any Sunday. We, we know that. So that brings the question. If a lack of hope and brokenness 
And addiction is really such a big problem in the United States. And Jesus said, hey, those that come in through me, those that experience life through me, those that choose to follow me, they're going to experience rescue. They're going to experience protection. They're going to experience healing. What gifts? Why are those two numbers the way they are? Is it possible, is it possible that we too miss the point? Is it possible? Is it possible that we maybe are also sometimes focused on the when, like the religious leaders were with Jesus, and not the what? Give you an excerpt from a book. Uh, this book is entitled No Perfect People Allowed, and it's by a man, a, a, a pastor by the name of John Burke. It's actually a book that we are using kind of as a uh, jumping off point or a launch point for everything in this series. So it's No Perfect People Allowed by John Burke. I'm just going to read a couple of excerpts from chapter 11 in that book. Okay, People are out here sailing through the seas of life with no navigator on board. They think they're sailing toward life as they follow the siren song of doing it my way, but they keep running aground, damaging their lives on the hidden shoals of sin. And then in the next paragraph, Burke says, the Christian community, or we could say the church, the Christian community must become a safe harbor from the storms of life that beat them up. Now, if everything that we've talked about this morning is true, and I'd like to think that it is, if hopelessness and brokenness dominated our culture today, and if Jesus is the answer to that brokenness and hopelessness because he offers rescue and protection and healing, and if the Christian community or the church has to become a safe harbor for the storms of life that are consistently every single day, everywhere in our culture beating people up, where's the disconnect? Why are the two numbers not closer together. Where's the disconnect? Where, what are we missing as a church? What are we missing as a community? Why do we not need to build more churches in Stuttgart for the roughly 5,500 people or so that don't have a seat? Remember, 12,500 people are in this area. Only roughly 7,000 seats are available at full capacity. There's 5,500 people that there's just nowhere for them to go. Now, if you're sitting in this facility right now, or if you're watching us right now online, or maybe you're listening to us or watching us later on during the week or at some time in the future, I don't know, I'm talking to you in the future here, um, you're, you're at least a little bit interested in who Stuttgart Harvest Church is, what we're about. You're also, possibly, if you're watching us from Malvern or in that area, you're interested in what the church in Malvern is going to be about, will soon be about. And I think that's pretty cool. I think it's pretty neat that uh, there's a little bit of investigation that we know is going on right now at this very moment. See, at Stuttgart Harvest Church and the church in Malvern, we want to be a church where the predominant message that we teach and the predominant message that we proclaim is all about our hope in Jesus. It's all about our hope in Jesus. We want seekers Someone that walks through these doors or that tunes in on Sunday morning on YouTube, Facebook, or listens to us during the week on SoundCloud, or, or very soon will walk through the doors at the church in Malvern. We want those seekers to hear a real simple message. We want them to hear that the creator of the seas wants to come on board the, 
the ship of their life and navigate their life towards, or excuse me, away from those rocky shoals that Burke was talking about. We want to reach a hopeless and broken community with the protection and the healing and the rescue that only Jesus offers. That's, that's really what we're about. Another way to put it, that's kind of the cream that rises to the top of the cup. You know, you've heard that, that phrase, you know, the cream that rises to the top. That's the cream at Stuttgart Harvest Church and the church in Malvern. The cream is Jesus. Now, we don't want to only talk about the reefs of sin that are out there that, let's face it, we all, myself included, we all keep hitting and how mad that has to make God. We'll address those things from time to time, absolutely. We'll teach on those things because you can't have grace without truth. Those two things kind of go hand in hand. You have to have both. But more than anything, the cream that we want to see rise to the top of the message at Stuttgart Harvest Church and the church at Maldron has to be about our hope in Jesus. And I'm going to be honest. It's messy. It's very, very messy. It's going to, if we're doing it and we're doing it right in Stuttgart, in the Stuttgart area, and in Malvern, and in the Malvern area, it's messy. It's going to be messy. Relatively early in Jesus' ministry, um, he will encounter another man. This one's not blind. This guy's actually, we got his name. His name's Matthew. He's going to encounter a man by the name of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. In fact, he encounters Matthew while he is sitting in his tax booth. And, and he's going to come up to Matthew, and Matthew is going to become one of Jesus' closest followers. He's going to be called by Jesus to be among his closest followers. Now, being a tax collector in that culture that Jesus lived in was considered very, very low. You would be very wealthy. You could expect to get wealthy. You could expect to uh, experience uh, you know, quite a bit of money and quite a bit of possessions and things. But you would become wealthy as a tax collector because pretty much you lied, you stole, and you cheated from those you were collecting taxes from. And as a result, as you can imagine, the tax collector was not well liked in this culture. It's safe to say that the tax collector, in Jesus' uh, time and in this first century in, in, that we read about in, in Matthew and in Mark and Luke and John and Acts and what so much of the, uh, what the New Covenant was written, it's very safe to say that the tax collector would not have been welcomed at the table of the religious people. The tax collector was not welcome. The tax collector would, really wasn't welcome inside of the synagogue, in fact. I mean, he, he was, which was kind of the church, he was the pretty low on the societal scale was the tax collector. And after Jesus had met Matthew and he had called Matthew and Matthew had become one of his followers, Matthew will invite Jesus to a meal at his house. He'll invite him to supper, which is pretty significant. He invites him to a meal at his house and um, there are other tax collectors that were also at the meal, which makes a lot of sense. Matthew's a tax collector. His circle of friends were other tax collectors because he probably couldn't have any other friends. I mean, they kind of stuck together. So Jesus goes to this meal with this bunch of tax collectors, these not well-liked people. Jesus went. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they started talking. They said, how in the world can this, this man, this Jesus, how 
can he go and can he eat with such scum? How can he do that? How, how can he go? Uh, he claims to be, we don't really know what he claims to be yet. He, he may be claimed to be a rabbi, a prophet, maybe even the Messiah. We're not sure yet. We're trying to figure that out. But he claims to be something important. How in the world can he go and eat with these people? How can he, it's not like he's just talking to them or he's having a conversation with them. He's eating with them. Doesn't he know that he's eating with sinners? Doesn't he know that they're broken? They're dirty? They're messy? Doesn't he know? Well, of course, Jesus knew. He knew all of these things. He just didn't care. He didn't care. This is what he said, in fact, in response to that. And again, I would encourage you. I can't read the whole story, but I would encourage you. Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 9. Some good stuff in there. Chapters 8 and 9. Uh, this is the way Jesus responded. And if there is a... A, not a cornerstone, but if there is among cornerstone verses at Stuttgart Harvest Church and the church in Malvern, this is one of them. Matthew chapter 9, verses 12 and 13. This is what Jesus said. He says, when he heard this, he says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call those who think, who not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So that's what we are in Stuttgart and in soon in Malvern. We also, we have to be a hospital. We're here to serve those who are sick. We're, though, we're here not to serve those who, you know, think that they're doing okay and think they're okay. Well, and all the you know, righteous. Not that Jesus was saying those Pharisees were righteous at all. He was kind of making a point. But we're not here to serve people that think they're okay. We're actually here to serve those who are sick. Because let's be honest, if we're being honest and truthful, we're all sick. I'm sick. I'm sick with something called sin. I'm, I'm sick. That's one of the reasons why you hear us say in Stuttgart, and, and we will say in Malvern so often, you'll hear us say, no perfect people allowed. We mean it. That's the truth. No perfect people allowed. We don't care if a seeker is struggling with addiction, dependence, loss, depression, anger, unfaithfulness. We don't care if a seeker is an atheist, an agnostic, a skeptic, a liberal or conservative. We don't care. Or anything in between. We, we don't care. We simply see people as broken. Just like I am. Broken. In need of an encounter with Jesus. See, Jesus does all the work. That's the cool thing about the way this thing's set up. Jesus does all the work. My job is just simply to set up the date. I'm kind of like, you know, what was it? ChristianMingle.com? Was that the one? Christian Mingle. I'm kind of, we're kind of like ChristianMingle.com here in Stuttgart. Our job's just to get the two parties together, and Jesus does everything else. I, we're out of the way at that point. I just screwed up. I got lucky to get a woman that cared anything enough about me to marry me, you know, and stay with me this long. 14 years, by the way. I'm just, you know, Match.com, eHarmony, Christian Mingle, and all the other ones. We just set up the date. Jesus does all the work. We just set up the date. Even if setting up that date 
means we do things a little bit different from the way that the religious leaders of our day think that they should be done, even if it means we do them a little different. Let's face it. Suggard Harvest Church and the church in Malvern, for us, it is okay that Jesus decided to heal that man on a Sabbath. We're cool with it because, hey, that's what it took. That's what it took. We're fine with it. We're comfortable with it. Go for it, Jesus. That's a great, great idea. Why didn't we think of that? We're okay with that. Now, for us today in 2021, uh, healing on the Sabbath looks a little different. I mean, you hear somebody talk about the Sabbath, and you're more likely to go, what? What the Sabbath? What, what, is that like a restaurant? You know, what, what do you get there? German food? What, what is the Sabbath? We don't know what you're talking about. Sabbath doesn't carry a lot of meaning in our culture today. But, so for us, healing on the Sabbath might look a little different. So at Stuttgart Harvest Church, I'll give you an example. This theater is dark. I mean, let's face it. This theater's dark hard to see, right? You're like, I can't even see my hand in front of my face. But we're okay with that. We're okay with this theater being dark because we want the seeker to be able to come in here, maybe hide, get a little anonymity. Anonymity, is that the right word? We want them to be able to hide and we want them to be able to explore the claims of Jesus safely. Hey, they just may meet Jesus in the dark. We're cool with that. We say things like, hey, wear whatever clothes you want to wear. Just wear something. We mean it. I mean, I wear shorts. The shorts actually have a purpose. There's, I mean, I like shorts. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I like wearing shorts. But they're a little strategic. Just work cool with it. Wear whatever you want. Just wear something. You want to wear camouflage? Wear camouflage. You want to wear a dress? Wear a dress. Wear some pants? Wear pants. You want to wear shorts? Wear shorts. You want to wear a three-piece suit with a bow tie? Wear a three-piece suit with a bow tie. We're cool. Anything you want to wear, just don't come naked. Please. We're, we're okay with that. And we really mean that. That's not just like, you know, a pithy lip service thing. We really mean that. We, we are willing, Harley, don't hit me. We are willing to plant a church in the middle of a pandemic. What? <laughs> are we crazy? Maybe. We don't know. But we're cool with it. Because that's what God said do. And you know what? We're going to be seeing you guys here in just a little bit. We're cool with it. We're willing to plant a church in a pandemic. Because if Jesus could heal on the Sabbath, we can do that. We're okay with people serving before they ever encounter Jesus. That's fine. We're good with that. Now, we don't do any of that stuff to be the cool church. And we are the cool church. We don't do any of it to be the cool church. We do none of it to be the cool church. We do none of it to be the modern church. We do none of it to be the progressive church. We don't care about cool, modern, and progressive. We do it very simply because we want nothing to get in the way of hurting broken people from encountering Jesus. That's simple. So what does that mean for us what does that mean for you? What does that mean for Stuttgart Harvest Church? And what does that mean for the church in Malvern? How does that affect us moving forward into our week? Very simply, it means this. Help us. Help us. Statistics tell us that the likelihood of someone coming inside of a church, walking through the doors of a church, improve drastically if they're invited by someone that they know and someone that they trust. 
And they improve even more if the person that they know and trust will be sitting beside them when they walk through those doors or walk through those doors with them. Statistics tell us the chances are improved drastically. This community in Stuttgart and the community in Malvern is filled with broken, hopeless people who are currently sailing on the sea of life and they have no navigator on board and they are getting beat up. And honestly, they don't know why. They don't know why. We've got plenty of room, quite literally. We've got plenty of room. And in Malvern, hey, the Calvary is coming today. We are bringing a lot of chairs, and we're fixing to have a lot of room in Malvern. We've got plenty of room, and we are not afraid to, to love messy, hurting people all the way to Jesus. We're not scared of it. It's what Stuttgart Harvest Church and the church in Malvern, it's what we were planted to do. So for next steps this week, I've got three. Three next steps. Real simple next steps. The first one is this. I would encourage you, read John, cha- uh, John chapter 9. That John chapter 9, that's the entire account about Jesus having an encounter with a blind man. And what happened as a result. Read John chapter 9. It won't take long. I mean, we're talking... Really, if you're a fast reader, less than five minutes, less than two, we're being honest. Read John chapter 9. And then after you read John chapter 9, just talk to God and say, Hey, God, is there anyone in my circle right now? Anyone in my circle? Home, work, you know, neighbors, neighborhood, anyone in my circle who needs an encounter with Jesus? Because life's beating them up. And they could use a little bit of that protection and a little bit of that healing and a little bit of that rescue. Is there anybody in my circle that maybe I'm not even seeing? Show them to me. And then the third thing is this. Invite. Invite them to Stuttgart Harvest Church or the church in Malvern. And, And maybe do this. Maybe even set a goal. Set a goal to possibly see them come with you or at the very least be connecting online with us because we understand the pandemic. We understand that. Be connecting online with us by Easter Sunday, which is April 4th. Just, just as a goal, start planting the seeds right now. Because, again, we, we, you don't know. You don't know how those seeds are going to grow, if they're going to grow. We're okay with Jesus healing on the Sabbath. We're okay with things being messy. Jesus could have avoided a lot of mess and he could have kept a a lot of very, very important people very happy if he just wouldn't have healed that blind man on the Sabbath. If he just would have said, yeah, you know, good luck with that and walked away. He, He could have avoided a lot of mess if he would have avoided that specific encounter. But for one man, for one man, the story would have turned out a whole lot differently. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, and still can't see. Pray with me. God, we have so many in our communities who are broken and who are hopeless. And we truly believe that the answer to that hopelessness can only be found through a meeting with you. 
We know that it's going to be messy. But God, please give us the strength to continue arranging all of those meetings, even in the middle of this pandemic, that God, if you want to take this pandemic away today, we would be fine with that. God, grab our hearts this morning and sharpen our focus as we work to accomplish our vision of seeing people eternally connected to you. And it's in your son's name we ask these things. Amen.